Welcome to Star Wars Comics and Canon. The Force is strong with this one. Hello there and welcome to Star Wars Comics in Canon, your guide to the wider Star Wars canon through the comic book lens. And to take you on this journey, I'm your host, Mike Burton. And so brings another book review. So guys, continuing as the standard fashion as I'm doing on this very show, I'm just doing lots of book reviews for the High Republic. So my previous book reviews, I did The Light of the Jedi, which was out in March 13th. I did A Test of Courage, which was out August 14th. And I did Into the Dark, which was October 4th. Now, all of that was 2021. Uh, Depending on where you're listening to this, if you're on YouTube, then you'll be able to find it quite easily. It's in playlists and things. There's a whole playlist on book reviews and one on the High Republic specifically. So you can find them all there. If you're listening on on a podcast app on the feed of Comics in Motion, then as I said, the dates that I've just listed, March 13th, August 14th, October 4th, just look for them or just type in Star Wars book review and then the name of the book and it will come up because I've just checked. I'm one of the few podcasters who seem to be doing long form book reviews on all of these High Republic books. So I suppose that works in that way, but I've already got you listening. So um, let's do some of the background information on the Rising Storm and the High Republic and stuff, and then I can get into the review. And to clarify, as I said in my previous reviews, what I like to do is it starts off spoiler-free, I give my thoughts on it, sort of read the blurb out, talk about when it is in the timeline, some of the general themes and things that occur in the book, then I give plenty of warning, and then I go on to a slightly more spoilery description, but something that still isn't very spoilery and wouldn't be anything really past the first, say, quarter or so of the book, aside from like light details that don't necessarily impact plot, and then towards the end, once again, I'll give plenty of warning when I go into this, I'll then give a slightly more spoiler spoilery review for those people who either aren't fussed about having spoilers before they read the book or people who aren't necessarily planning on reading the book but want sort of general ideas of what's going on in the canon around the High Republic just so people don't have to read you know every single piece of High Republic content because you know three books every six months as well as you know two ongoing comic series as well as multiple mini series it's a lot of content to consume oh and also an audio drama which I'll tackle because that links quite nicely into this book as well but I'm going to tackle all those things as we kind of get going and whatnot Um, but yeah let's start with some of the background information when this is set and things and then I'll get into my spoiler free review and as I said I'll give you guys plenty of warning before I go into spoiler territory so the book The Rising Storm was written by Kevin Scott it was released June 29th 2021 and is part of the first phase of the High Republic but in the second wave so what it seems to be is there's going to be three waves per phase and there are going to be three phases of the High Republic as a reminder the High Republic era the first phase of it is set about 200 years before the prequel trilogy so timeline wise we do before and after the Battle of Yavin. The Battle of Yavin is when they blow up the Death Star in A New Hope, so that's generally the time scale that I use to confirm when events are happening in comparison to other events and things, and that's generally the most commonly used one outside of the Star Wars universe, obviously in the Star Wars universe, but people wouldn't know in 230-odd years that a Death Star is going to blow up and there's going to be a Battle of Yavin. Um, but yeah, anyway, so as I said, first phase of the High Republic is about 200 years before the Phantom Menace, so that is about 232 years before the Battle of Yavin, because Phantom Menace takes place about 32 years before the Battle of Yavin, and 
The first phase and the first wave are books that I've tackled in the previous book reviews I mentioned, The Light of the Jedi, A Test of Courage, and Into the Dark. Now what they do with these releases is they'll have one release day, which is normally the adult novel, which is the one with the most amount of plot information. It moves the whole story around the most. It is generally aimed at adults, as I said, but it's suitable for most audiences. I'd probably say if teenagers are quite good at a higher level of reading, it's mainly because the books are like between three hundred and four hundred and fifty odd pages it's a lot to take in some of the themes are a bit heavier and stuff but i'd say realistically if anyone's about 12 or 13 and older as long as they have the reading capabilities to be able to read these books it would probably be fine for them but it's generally aimed at a slightly older audience so that's that was sort of the main pillars of the high republic the first one was the light of the jedi then on the same day they released the adult novel they released the junior novel the junior novel of light of the jedi it was a test of courage and for the rising storm the one that goes along with it is race to crash point tower what it generally does is kind of lightly talks about what's going on in the main plot if the main book but does it with a whole story that is generally involving uh, younger characters the themes are a lot less dark there's a lot less death there's a lot less sort of adult themes regarding either drugs or sex or anything like that which obviously aren't huge in the star wars universe that much but in the high republic it's becoming slightly more common and there are certain things that are discussed in there which obviously in this book i will get into later on so the Test of Courage is the one for Light of the Jedi. For this one, it was Race to Crash Point Tower. As I said, there are events that kind of happen around or like parallel to the big pillar events. And then they re- and their junior novels, so they're generally sort of middle school. So I think it's like 10-year-olds generally aimed at. But they're really good books as well. I've read both Race to Crash Point Tower and Test of Courage. As I said, Test of Courage, I did the book review that August 14th. That was a lot of fun. And then they release the young adult books. The young adult books are normally released about a month after the junior and the adult books are released. And then they usually take place like slightly after. So it's almost to kind of really briefly do it. You've got the adult novel is the main plot. You've got the junior novel, which is like the abridged, more kid friendly, not quite version, but kind of seeing it from a different perspective. And then the young adult novel is kind of almost like an epilogue. So it's got its own story. It's often got one or two characters that are in the main plot. And often it's from what I've seen of the two that we've got. They either take place just at the tail end of the events of the adult novel or just after. So they're still around a few weeks, normally a couple months within the same sort of time frame. Now, the second wave of the High Republic, so as I said, The Rising Storm, Race to Crash Point Tower, and then Out of the Shadows, those three books seem to take place approximately six months or so after the events of Light of the Jedi, Test of Courage, and Into the Dark. So Light of the Jedi and the sort of the first wave of of the first phase they were generally around the first interaction with the nile properly and the great disaster which was the big hyperspace event that occurred in essence a nile ship niles travel across hyperspace and things using different ways to hyperspace they're called paths and basically a nile ship caused another ship which was like a big republic ship to burn out and like become destroyed while traveling in hyperspace you know faster than the speed of light and then all these little bits of this ship would fly off in different directions they were called emergencies and they would hit certain planets or moons or anywhere else and obviously when something is traveling so fast and it hits something that isn't moving fast at all it creates a huge amount of destruction so the light of the jedi the first like third of the book is all about the jedi dealing with like shards of the ship falling out of hyperspace destroying things and this is like six months or so after that and the rising storm centers around the republic fair 
which is something that the Chancellor at the time, Lena So, she has organized to try and, you know, connect the galaxy together. Because at the moment, the Republic is still expanding. You've got the Core World, you've got like Coruscant and Corellia and places like that. I think Naboo is in the Core World as well. And then as you go out further, there's less and less places that have been explored. So you've got the Mid Rim, which is generally quite explored, but then the Outer Rim hasn't been explored as much. And the Republic is trying to expand, is trying to connect to new planets and new peoples and cultures and things to try and unify the galaxy together. And the Republic Fair is meant to be a celebration of that and is meant to be something that connects so many different places together. And one of the key relations that are trying to be built in this book is actually with the Togrutas. Now, in the prequel era and onward, Togrutas are fairly commonplace in the galaxy, it seems. Uh, the two most famous Togrutas you guys will be aware of is Shark T, who is a Jedi Master. She's in the Clone Wars series. She helps train up some of the clones in Kamino and whatnot. And her death in Legends happened about three times uh, in the canon. She was killed by Anakin in the Jedi Temple. You can see it in canon in a flashback, or rather a force vision that Yoda sees in the Clone Wars Series 6. So it's all very convoluted, her death. And the other, which I would say arguably more famous, Togruta, is one of the best characters in all of Star Wars, and there's Ahsoka Tano. So they're the main two, and there is a character which is Jorah Mali. Uh, she was in the Light of the Jedi book, and she was the master of Wreath Silas, who is in the Into the Dark book, which is my last book review, and he also appears again in the Out of the Shadows young adult book, which I will be tackling at some point soon. Jorah Mali, as I said, she was a Togruta. She was in the previous wave of the books quite a bit, um, but aside from her, it's not that common for Togrutas to be involved with anything else to do with the Republic, and this book kind of talks about their relations there and things. And it's, it's a really, really interesting element, which I will go into when I go into the slightly more spoilery parts. But that's the general idea of what's happening in this book. That's the central theme of it. It's all about the High Republic Fair. And as like a brief review of this book, I would say it's as good as The Light of the Jedi. It's better and worse in slightly different ways. I would probably say that I personally enjoyed this book slightly more, but I, I think that maybe if they made a movie out of the books, I think the movie of The Light of the Jedi would maybe be considered better by the mainstream, which sounds quite a weird thing to say, but in essence, I think that the pacing of The Rising Storm is better for me, and the chapters are generally a bit shorter, which I really like, because it makes you feel like you know, you're know you doing a lot more, and the chapters in Light of the Jedi are slightly longer. But the first third of The Light of the Jedi is so intense and so action-packed, and is such masterful writing, that there's not really any action that happens in any Star Wars writing I've read thus far that are quite as enthralling and as gripping as as intense as the like the jedi was now don't get me wrong there's plenty of action in the rising storm but it all kinds of starts to happen towards the middle and towards the end of the book as opposed to towards the start now like the jedi there's the major event in the start then the middle is kind of the aftermath and then the ending is kind of like another I think in terms of like a crescendo, where almost like it comes back, it's not quite as intense at the start, whereas The Rising Storm is just building and building and building and building. You know, there is some action sequences near the start, which I will get into, but generally it's just a build-up to unveiling of the Republic Fair, and then something happening at the Republic Fair. Now, I will read you the blurb of this, and it's pretty apparent, this isn't a spoiler, that something bad happens at the Republic Fair. It's quite clean to see, this isn't just going to be a nice, you know, three to four hundred page book on just how the Republic Fair went on everything was lovely and the galaxy is now united and nothing bad happened as as lovely as that would be it probably wouldn't make for the most exciting book i mean people like me who are law junkies would probably love to read that sort of thing but i think 400 odd pages of just everyone getting along would probably wouldn't really move the plot along of the high republic that well 
and try to establish what the High Republic is trying to show, which is how the Jedi, centuries before the prequels, how they got to the way they are at the prequels, how they became so dogmatic, how they became so set in their ways, they were very rigid, they weren't very open to change and things. And when you get characters like Rail Avaros or Quinlan Voss or Qui-Gon Jinn even, ones who are trying to challenge how the Jedi Council are thinking, trying to challenge where the Republic is going, you know, where the Clone Wars on the horizon and things and all these things occurring those people are seen as the outliers. They're kind of seen as these people that don't connect with the rest of the Jedi sort of mindset and the order. Whereas you go to the High Republic era and there's so many more individuals who match people such as Qui-Gon or Quinlan Voss who are seen maybe as slightly more of mavericks or maybe not quite the word extreme but very different they are far more commonplace in the high republic and the whole point of these phases and waves of the high republic is trying to show how the jedi changed over the centuries so it's a very interesting way to see all these things but i also want to add that with the rising storm online on wikipedia it says that it's 336 pages long but i've got a copy of it Right there, that was me slapping the book, just in case you guys didn't <laughs> believe that I had it. Um, and it's 427 pages. So I don't know if in America you guys have bigger books or with smaller font or what it is, but obviously I'm based in the UK. I've got a UK book and Kevin Scott's actually a U- one of the own, I think he's the only Project Luminous writer who's actually based in the UK. I think all the other ones are US based, but you know, it's still quite a lot of pages to read. There's a lot of information going on. There's huge amounts of lore. There's a lot of storylines going on at once and it's absolutely ace. And I, as I said, I think I generally did prefer The Rising Storm because it focused on the character Elzar Man, and I just think him as a character and his journey is so intriguing. In Light of the Jedi, it kind of centered around Bel Zetifar, uh, Port Ingle, Loden Greatstorm, Avar Chris, some of those characters. And Elzar Man and Stellan Geos were in it as well, but they were more sort of secondary or even tertiary characters, whereas in this, they are brought to the forefront. Now, Bel Zetifar's still in it quite a lot, but you've also got other characters like Ty Yorick comes to the front, Lena So, the Chancellor at the time, she's in it quite a lot. But you do get a lot more Nile perspective. Now, obviously, the Nile are the antagonists, so you get like a for the first third of the book you get this whole journey that the eye of the Nile which is basically the boss of them all uh, Marquion Rowe he goes on this really interesting journey as well which when I get to the more spoiler stuff I'll talk about that too but obviously with Light of the Jedi that was an introduction to the High Republic era to the ways of the Jedi all of their ships how they have their lightsabers how they look and their general mindset what's going on with them at the time what the Republic's trying to do all these sorts of layers and things so it has to really set the groundwork a huge huge amount but obviously the Rising Storm is something that is already been established there are new characters or characters that have more flushing out and things but the general world that you're in you're already aware of that so there doesn't have to be so much time spent trying to establish these things and that's what happens quite a lot i find with a lot of movies and things when you've got a movie which they plan the sequel um you know when you've got either source material already existing or things where they're like oh we're going to make a trilogy so we know the next story is going to be like this you don't need to spend as much time establishing things and often sequels of films. I mean, Empire Strikes Back is a good example, even though I'm in the camp that does not believe that George Lucas had the trilogy planned when he made A New Hope, obviously at the time just called Star Wars. Obviously, his great ideas worked when he made Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, but I I do not believe that was his plan from the start. Obviously, the Luke and Leia stuff and a few other slight inconsistencies kind of hint to that. Um, But regardless, you know, when they made the sequel, Empire Strikes Back is a very different film in theme, thematically, and how it feels to the way that the original Star Wars was. And I think that The Rising Storm mirrors that quite a lot. The Rising Storm is much more of a darker book. It is much more 
interpersonal i think where the world has already been established you can get into the details of it because obviously in star wars they were trying to establish the force and the jedi and what all these kind of things were in the empire strikes back you're already kind of aware of those things but you don't have the intricate details which is where you know yoda's scenes on dagobah with luke adds so much weight to the force and the understanding of the jedi and i think that the rising storm in certain parallels does that to the high republic jedi there's some quite cool and interesting kind of powers that are in it powers may be the wrong word but the way the force is used there's more force sensitive beings in this one in particular that i will tackle a little bit later so it's just a book which this is the empire strikes back to a new hope which is the rising storm to uh, light of the jedi i think they're probably both equally good it just kind of depends if you are more into the world building or if you're more into getting more details on a pre-established world that that's kind of a really quick layman's terms way of explaining the differences but as i said i i absolutely love this book i absolutely love light of the jedi if you read light of the jedi and you enjoyed it or you listened to the audiobook version or whatever i can almost guarantee that you will enjoy this book as well it is just an incredible read and i stand by that this book and the light of the jedi are the two best high republic books well, actually, they're the two best books I think that have been written for Star Wars in the new canon. I haven't read a huge amount of Legends material. I, I know bits and pieces and things, and I played a lot of the games and etc. But just speaking about the canon, although I love a lot of the books that I've read, you know, there's oh, I've read all the Claudia Gray books. Obviously, one of them being Into the Dark, which is a High Republic book, and reading, you know, the Certain Point of View, the Aftermath trilogy, Ahsoka, and a few other bits and pieces here and there. I think that these High Republic books are absolutely incredible because they are telling their own story. They are pushing forward their own narrative. And the Aftermath trilogy, I think, does that as well. I don't think the writing's quite as good, and I think it's not quite, it doesn't grip you in the same way, although they are excellent books and I thoroughly enjoy them. And then you've got other books, you know, like Master and Apprentice, which is about Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. And although that's got its own story and a lot of its own characters, that is building off the relationship you are already aware of in The Phantom Menace and the characters you already know about. Whereas that's what happens a lot of the time in this canon, where you've got books, you know, you've got Tarkin, you've got Rogue One, the Catalyst, you've got Guardians of the Wills, you've got Ahsoka, you know there's all these books and things which are basically pre-existing characters you already know about and giving them more depth and information or certain events that already exist and adding to those trying to build off pre-existing content which is nine times out of ten it is the films whereas the high republic is standing us on two feet it's not relying on a movie to try and establish plot the books are what is establishing the plot so it's a very different challenge and they are different the books are read in different ways because you know the high republic you've got the one audio drama tempest runner and then you've got several comics and books and that's the project aside from the vr game um which is like one or two missions where the character goes with yoda to like an old temple and stuff which is it's cool from what i've seen about it but it's not like you know very plot heavy it doesn't establish much about the high republic what's going on at that time it's kind of like a nice little add-on sort of thing and the High Republic books, they just do such an excellent job at really pushing the plot. So if you like plot-heavy Star Wars, you really like characters and stuff, although the action scenes are really, really cool, that's the kind of thing that you would expect in The Rising Storm and Light of the Jedi. And as I said, to compare them both, they're objectively, they're probably both equally good books, but me personally, I did enjoy The Rising Storm more, if only because... I found it slightly easier to digest due to already knowing about the established characters and things. But also, as I said slightly earlier, I love the fact that the chapters are really short. Um, I think Molly of Star Wars Explained mentions this, and she she said that she likes the fact in the same way that you read them and it just feels like you're accomplishing a lot. Whereas like with the Charles Saul book, like The Jedi, it was excellent, but you'd have one chapter that was like 20 plus pages, but every you know two or three pages, it would change to what another character was doing in a similar area. Whereas Kevin Scott generally seems to change chapter when it changes the character's perspective unless it's from you know 
one character doing something and then a character next to them then shows what they're doing, if you know what I'm kind of saying. So I, I generally prefer that style. Um, I think the whole Republic Fair and everything that goes along with that is very interesting. I would say that aside from one main aspect, which is it's an unavoidable aspect and it's something that one has to definitely consider when you review this whole book. I can't say what it is because it's quite a big plot spoiler. So if you're desperate to know what I'm kind of alluding to and you haven't read the book, then I will talk about it right at the very end. Uh, the only hint I'll give you is the leveler. That's all I'm going to say for now. But the stuff involving that, unpredictable, very clever, very, very interesting. And it, you know, touches certain horror elements, which Kevin Scott is very, very good at doing. Whereas the rest of the plot, you know, it's all about the High Republic Fair. You know something bad is going to happen at the High Republic Fair. It's just kind of this thing where it's quite tense because you can kind of feel it coming. It's, it's almost in a similar vein to the prequels in some manner. Obviously, when Revenge of the Sith came out, no one necessarily knew that Obviously, everyone knew that Anakin was going to become Darth Vader, and everyone suspected or knew that Ian McDermott's character, Palpatine, you know, he he was the Emperor. It's fairly obvious in that regard. But you didn't necessarily see Order 66 happening. You didn't necessarily see Anakin killing younglings in a Jedi temple, you know, those, those sort of things. So although you had this anticipation of Anakin turning to Vader, you didn't know exactly how that was going to go. And it's kind of like with this in The Rising Storm. Something bad's clearly going to happen with the Republic Fair. You can tell it was going to be the Nile, but you don't know exactly how or why or when specifically it's going to occur. So in that realm of things, it is ever so slightly more predictable. And some people may like that because they might like the intensity of being like, oh, when's this going to happen? I'm looking forward to it. Compared to like the Jedi was just like, look, there's a big disaster that happens. That's all you know. And it's to do a hyperspace. And aside from that, we didn't know any information. So like the Jedi was much more going into this completely new realm, not knowing what was going on. Whereas the rising storm is kind of like this time bomb about to go off. And then you're just like, well, when the time bomb goes off, What's going to happen to this character? What's going to happen to this character? And in The Light of the Jedi, there is a character called Loden Greatstorm, who was one of the best characters in the book, I'd say. He's a Twi'lek. I think he's Jedi Master. He was training up Bell Zetafar, who's another excellent character. And at the end of Light of the Jedi, Loden Greatstorm gets captured by the Nile. And that's more or less all you know. You do get more information on him in this book. But once again, I will delve into that as I kind of go forward. But the connections to The Light of the Jedi are absolutely incredible. You can enjoy the main adult books, Light of the Jedi and The Rising Storm, without having to read the junior novels or or the uh, young adult novels, but obviously it all works together very well. I'd say the junior novels are probably the least important elements to have to read to really get a big grip on the High Republic, but the young adult books, like Into the Dark, the review I did, you know, a month or so ago, that was all central around the Drengir, who are secondary antagonists in these first few waves of, of phase one of the High Republic, but they are much more of a presence in the comics themselves. And that all kind of gets discussed somewhat here as well. Whereas as of recording this, I have not yet finished Out of the Shadows um, by Justina Ireland. It's a young adult novel. I'm trying to not read all the books and then do a book review on all three, like, because it gets a little bit confusing. I'm trying to make sure that I at least do some of this book review for The Rising Storm because I've already read this and Race to Crash Point Tower. And then I'm in the midst of reading Out of the Shadows, but I'm trying to make sure that I don't overread everything because what I don't want to do is, you know, finish all three books and then start doing the book review for The Rising Storm and either forget details that are specific about this book and then kind of ramble on and stuff. So I'm trying to avoid doing that somewhat. So if there are any details in this that I talk about that are in Out of the Shadows, and you guys have read them and I haven't connected the dots, I'm just telling you now that is the reason why. 
So that is like my general thoughts on this uh, spoiler-free. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the blurb to you guys uh, and then give probably a little bit more information on some of the characters and then I'll, you know, give a warning and I'll say now I'm going to go into slightly more spoiler territory what I can talk about the plot and certain more details with the characters that occur maybe within the first quarter or third of the book so things still don't get fully spoiled. So um, let's read the blurb. I also just want to add in here that my copy of The Rising Storm is signed by Kevin Scott. I just want to do that little braggy thing here because I'm very happy about it and it makes me very happy. And it's one of a thousand that are signed and it's number 606 if anyone is even vaguely interested. But yes, I just want to say that because it makes me very happy I've got that because a lot of us in the UK can't get all the cool covers that a lot of you American listeners can get. There was, I think it was a Target one, which was like a really, really cool design that went all the way around the book, the front and the back. And you could buy it like with a tote bag and stuff as well with the artwork on it. And it was amazing. And then there was, there was another place that also did an alternate version of the book cover. Here in the UK, there's not really any alternate covers, which is a bit sad, but I could get it signed by Kevin Scott. So that's what I did. Um, anyway, let's read the blurb of this book. Following the dramatic events of Light of the Jedi, the heroes of the High Republic era return to face a shattered peace and a fearsome foe. In the wake of the hyperspace disaster and the heroism of the Jedi, the Republic continues to grow, bringing more worlds together under a single, unified banner. Under the leadership of Chancellor Lena So, the spirit of unity extends throughout the galaxy, with the Jedi and the newly established Starlight Beacon stationed at the Vanguard. In celebration, the Chancellor plans the Republic Fair, a showcase of the possibilities and the peace of the expanding Republic, a peace the Jedi hope to foster. Stellan Geos, Bel Zetifar, Elzar Man, and others join the event as ambassadors of harmony. But as the eyes of the galaxy turn towards the fair, so too does the fury of the Nile. Their leader, Marquion Roe, is intent on destroying this unity. His storm descends on the pageantry and celebration, sowing chaos and extracting revenge. As the Jedi struggle to curb the carnage of the rampaging Nile, they come face to face with the true fear their enemy plans to unleash across the galaxy, the kind of fear from which even the Force cannot shield them. So there you go. As you can hear by the blurb, it basically says the Nile are going to attack the Republic Fair. So it's not really a spoiler, me kind of alluding to those things. But as I said, that's how you can kind of tell where the plot's going. And you're just sort of reading the book at like, when are the Nile going to attack? And you know, I'll get into that a little bit later. That'll be more so for the kind of final part of this review, the more spoilerific one. But as I said, Avar Chris isn't mentioned in that because although she was a main character in The Light of the Jedi, at the point of this book coming out in the timeline, Avar Chris is off fighting the Drengir. So that is in the first and second volumes of the High Republic comics, which are also written by Kevin Scott. So like kudos to Kevin Scott. I know all the Project Luminous writers, um, which is the name of the, the five people who organized and went through and did The High Republic, which is Daniel Jose Older, Justina Ireland, Claudia Gray, Charles Saul, and Kevin Scott. There was also a gentleman called Michael something that helped them kind of orchestrate that and then also there's a guy called George something or other who is also now writing some of the content for the High Republic as well but those were the main five people it was called Project Luminous when it was announced ages ago before we knew it was the High Republic era or anything like that but Kevin Scott like writing basically these two parallel stories of one is in comic form about what Avar Chris is doing while the whole Republic Fair stuff is getting sorted and how the Drengir are being handled and things while simultaneously having this book it's, it melts the brain all the Project Luminous writers are very clever being able to do what they do here but um, as I said Avar Chris is really in it Elzar Man and Stellan Geos they're the main characters in this on one element of it you've got Bel Zetafar who has got a new master because obviously Loden Greatstorm was captured and they don't know what's going on with him so it's his master in 
Sierra Stokes. Then you've got Ty Yorick, who's a saber for hire. And for the clarity, on the cover of the book, of the standard edition of the book, you see three Jedi standing there, or seemingly Jedi. There's three people with ignited lightsabers. You've got a man standing at the front with a blue lightsaber. I believe that is Stellan Geos. And then there's a younger human standing next to him with a green lightsaber. That is Bel Zetafar. And then there's a Tholothian to the left of them, which is Ty Yorick. She's got a purple lightsaber. So yeah, that's generally my thoughts on the book and the spoiler-free sort of view on things. And now I'm going to get into light spoiler territory, talking a little bit more about the plot and the themes and some information about the characters as well. Uh, and then from there, I'll then give you guys plenty of warning before I get into the more major spoiler territory. So I thought a good place to start the light spoiler review would be, obviously I'm going to talk about the first like third or so of the book to a degree, I'm not going to go to major major details, but I just want to read out The Crawl, as any fans of uh, Styles Comics and Canon knows, I love reading out The Crawl uh, for comics and things alike, and there is a crawl in this, so um, here it is. The galaxy celebrates. With the dark days of the hyperspace disaster behind them, Chancellor Lena So pushes ahead with the latest of her great works. The Republic Fair will be her finest hour, a celebration of peace, unity, and hope on the frontier world of Valo. But an insatiable horror appears on the horizon. One by one, planets fall as the carnivorous Drengir consume all life in their path. As Jedi Master Avar Chris leads the battle against this terror, Nile forces gather in secret for the next stage of Marcion Rowe's diabolical plan. Only the noble Jedi Knights stand in Rose Way, but even the protectors of light and life are not prepared for the terrible darkness that lies ahead. So it starts with a prologue and it talks about Elzar Man because he's been having these visions about the Republic Fair, which he kind of had towards the end of Light of the Jedi, but we didn't explicitly know it was about the Republic Fair, to the, from my knowledge, what I can recall. Um, so it talks about that and how he kind of deals with that and his some meditation and things like that. It's quite interesting as a little prologue. And then the first chapter is actually from the perspective of the Nile. Now you've got, as I mentioned in that crawl, you've got Mark on Row. He is the eye of the Nile, so he's basically their leaders. And then there are three temples runners who are the main people who are like in leads of each of their storms and stuff so it's the one main leader and then the three sort of subordinates it used to be more balanced but as like the jedi shows he is mark on road this is is kind of getting more and more power in a way and has a lot more control over the tempest runners now in this one there is one different tempest runner because one of them was killed in the previous book so you've still got pan eater he is a Dawatin. you've got lorna d who is a twi'lek and then you've got someone called zetar who is a talpini who is wearing a power suit now a talpini is a fairly new species in star wars i think it's only in the canon the first one that i remember seeing was actually in rogue one you've got one of warwick davis's characters i think he plays like three characters in rogue one um but in the main sort of square of jeddah city where when Cassian and Kato So and Jin go there and then, you know, meet the Guardians of the Wills, and then the sort of the fight breaks out between Saw Guerrero's partisans and the Empire. There is a Talpini there. He's basically like a very well, he's, he's Warwick Davis's height, so very short, you know, a couple foot high. And he has quite a big mouth. He's kind of like furry. Kind of imagine almost like a partly shaved Ewok with like a shaven face almost, with a really, really big mouth that is yeah, like very, very short. That's kind of what they are. It is kind of hard to explain, but if you remember the part, you'd remember he's kind of sat behind cover and he kind of yells something. Um, but Talpinis are slowly showing up elsewhere. But obviously in the name Talpini, Eni, you know, it kind of gives a hint that they're quite small statured beings. But this one is in a power suit, Zetar. So, you know, when up against people who are quite formidable, including Pan Eater, who's a Dewatin, who's obviously a massive hulking beast, then the power suit kind of gives them a bit of an edge. So quite like that sort of 
element of things. I like that the Tempest Runners, they're kind of unsure of Roe, what his intentions are and things. But the first few chapters are actually him traveling with a character called Udi Dis, who's quite an interesting character. Really, really interesting hearing from their perspective on a lot of these chapters. And they are a Talortai. Now, Talortai were in Legends. They're essentially bird people. Um, so they're all feathered, they've got wings and things and beaks, etc. The species in general are actually quite force sensitive. And what's quite intriguing is that you find out that Ro is going to try and find something. So you don't find out towards the end, and I won't spoil it here. I may say it right at the very end of this whole thing, but he's just trying to find something, Markion Ro. And you don't know what it is, you don't even know what it does, and even at the end of the book, you're not fully sure, but that's a very interesting look. I really like it when you get from the perspective of the villains and also the heroes, or the antagonists and the protagonists, however you want to put it, but Obviously, that was similar in Light of the Jedi, but you didn't really get the Nile perspective towards more so the end. But in this one, from the start, you get it straight away. So I really like that element of things. And it's, you know, even though these books are set 200 years before the prequels and things, and they're like the earliest in the canon that's been explicitly confirmed, apart from like the odd sentence about old Sith and things like that, like actual weighted story around elements of things. Here's cool hearing sort of certain new creatures or species either being brought in from legends or being created for this, who will then start to show up in the air quotes, in like the Skywalker era of the canon. So I like that element of it. Uh, and then what other parts of this have we got? So as I said, there are quite a few characters I mentioned. I think I mentioned quite a few Jedi in the spoiler-free section. So you've still got Chancellor Lena So, who was mentioned in The Crawl. She's, you know, still trying her best to make the Republic such a place of unity and to connect all these different planets and things. And her son is actually in this one as well, who is called Kitrep. So it's interesting seeing how she and her son kind of interact about things. Obviously, the son didn't necessarily want to be famous, but because Lena is famous, obviously her son is also. So that's quite an interesting element. You've then got this journalist character called Real Dario or Real Dairo. I may be mispronouncing, apologies. But they're basically a journalist and they have this special implant that connects to their camera droid. And they kind of ask certain questions that like the public would be wanting to ask people who are heavily involved with the Republic Fair. Because the first sort of half of the book or so is just just about, you know, preparing for the Republic Fair, everyone kind of talking about whether or not the Nile are going to attack, what they've put into place, what they haven't put into place, some of the people who think that they should have put more in place, that sort of thing, just kind of deliberations and whatnot, while also, you know, how the Jedi are handling things. There's a few characters like Ty Yorick you get a bit more information on uh, before she gets more involved in the story. And then obviously you've got that sort of Nile story going on as well of Marky on Road trying to find something. So that's another interesting character, Rill Dairo. You've then got someone called Samira Ka'un, who is the coordinator on Valo. Uh, they're friends of Elzar Man, so they kind of walk around talking, kind of sorting out things as well. And then you've got quite a few other characters. As I said, I think Elzar Man is probably my favorite in this book so far. I do really like Ty Yorick, but I think one of the reasons I'm drawn to Ty Yorick is she's kind of classed as a saber for hire. Um, there's a mini series coming out called Monster on Temple Peak. At the moment, I've got the second issue. I think there's going to be four. And that shows kind of like her backstory in certain ways. And in this, when you get introduced to her within the first chapter or two of being introduced, you find out that she kind of used to be a Jedi and she left and you don't know why. You don't know what the circumstances are really. She she just used to be one. She's not really one anymore, but she still has a lightsaber, which is, from my understanding, or at least what we've seen in things like Clone Wars and certain other elements in the Skywalker sort of era, when a Jedi leaves the Order, usually they have to give back their lightsaber and stuff. So we don't know if she just hid a lightsaber and just disappeared one day, if she just kicked out the Order. We really don't know what's happened to her. As I said, the Monster on Temple Peak 
miniseries by I think IDW that's going to sort of go into a bit more detail but I really like her as a character because she is quite morally grey in a sense she's generally like a somewhat a bodyguard but she's primarily like a monster hunter so she will not necessarily was try and kill things to try and like use her special abilities to be able to incapacitate them those sorts of things and because she isn't constricted by you know the dogmatic views of the jedi which i think is a quote from palpatine in you know the prequels that she isn't as restricted in what she does and when she eventually comes into contact with some of the jedi who are a bit more dogmatic who are obviously entrenched in the order it is interesting having that kind of dynamic because it's one of those things like nothing makes you question your own beliefs as much as someone who was in the exact same position as you who then left you know there's certain elements for example if we use religion in modern days as an example i'm not going to delve into a huge religious discussion i'm not saying religion is necessarily right or wrong or anything i'm just saying like often if you are say a christian who is heavily into their beliefs and you have lots of atheists telling you that you're wrong or that this element's wrong or anything like that, you're not necessarily always going to get your mind changed. But if someone who you're close with or someone who you know potentially who was a Christian and then abandoned the faith, that might be something that's a bit more intriguing to you because obviously you can connect with them and be like, oh, you were in the same position as me. What made you change? Rather than, for example, someone who is never in that position, it's kind of easier to dismiss their point of view in a sense where you didn't know what I was doing. So I like her dynamic with another sort of character, which I'll get into, as I said, in the more spoilery review. Uh, and then Eldar Man is someone who I find very intriguing because I really like complex characters. I don't like characters who are unshakable in their, like, well, in anything they do. You know, you've got characters who, like, like, Yoda is a very cool character. Like, let's be honest, he's very unique, he's very old, he's very wise, there's lots of cool elements to him. But there's never a time where you're watching Yoda and thinking, oh, is he going to fall to the dark side? Is he going to leave the Order? Is something negative going to happen? You know, when we're all introduced to him in the original trilogy, he's already on his deathbed. <laughs> so, like, obviously, in Empire Strikes Back, not quite on his deathbed, but then, you know, Return of the Jedi, you literally see him die which is like a year later and when you see him in the prequels you know that he's going to die in the original so you know he's only 30 odd years away from dying anyway so with Yoda it kind of in some elements has what I call almost Superman syndrome which is the sort of unshakable goodness which works really well for certain characters and in a lot of stories like this you do need characters like that I want to clarify Yoda isn't really in the rising storm at all but when you have a character who is struggling with it, for me personally, I find that a lot more intriguing. I find it much more human in a lot of ways. Now, I know Yoda's not human, and I know a lot of characters in this aren't, you know, human in that way. But obviously, with our understanding of people, it's just like the depth of things aren't that easy. You can't be a good person 100% of your life all the time. You can only really try your best, depending on how much effort you put in will depend on, you know, what the outcome is. But, you know, I generally try to be a good person all the time. Does that mean sometimes I get angry and yell at people or I say things that I maybe regret or that are a bit mean? Of course it does, because I'm a person. And that is, to me, when you see a character who's like that, who's struggling with these things, to me, that's more interesting. It's kind of like what I found with Kylo Ren. I know he's kind of the reverse in a lot of ways, and there's many issues with the sequel trilogy and especially the rise of skull how they treated ren but he as a character intrigued me more because you don't know where he's going to go and you can kind of in certain elements see his perspective you know that kind of pull to be you know being bad gets you certain results but being good is more difficult and all that sort of layers so elzar man without delving into it he doesn't necessarily have the same struggles that kylo ren does but as the book goes on you can see that his sort of his connection to the Force isn't wavering, that'd be the wrong way of putting it, but sort of like he starts to get more into the middle as opposed to solely being in the light, if you know what I'm kind of trying to say. So that's a really, really interesting element that I also really enjoyed as well. 
And then there's another part of this, which is um, the relations with the Togrutas. I think I mentioned them in the spoiler-free review uh, element. I just, I like that. You know, I like politics in Star Wars to a degree. You know, I think most people can agree that the politics in Phantom Menace not only was a bit too much, but also just wasn't that interesting and wasn't really that clear. It just kind of went on in the wrong ways. Whereas when you get the politics of certain other elements of Star Wars, when it's done right, it can be really, really interesting. Like uh, the Claudia Gray book, Bloodline, that is an excellent example of how you can have a story which is very political without it feeling like it's being dragged by politics all the time. And that's what I feel about this is that, you know, we're trying to understand where the Republic was years or centuries before the prequel era and how it got transformed in a way that allowed Palpatine to take advantage of it. And at the moment, it's still in kind of the the youth of the High Republic in a way. So we don't know precisely how long the, the Republic in its current state has been established for. You know, obviously, well, I presume what Disney and Lucasfilm are going to do over the next few probably decades is, you know, after the High Republic's finished, you know, we're coming to the end of the first phase in January 2022. And then there'll be probably another three waves of the second phase and etc. So we're putting it nine waves in total. By the end of the High Republic in a few years time, when we're at the final phase in the final wave, I believe it's probably going to connect somewhat to the prequel era. People don't know if it's going to go like right up to it or if it's going to stop around 50 years beforehand. There's the series The Acolyte, which is coming out. I, I think that's due for release 2023, I think. Um, but that's going to be set around 50 years before the prequel trilogy. So that is from where we are now in the High Republic, about 100 150 to like 170-ish years. So yeah, obviously the High Republic's like 200 years before the Phantom Menace and things. So well, 50 years from that is 150. So yeah, 150 odd years bef- um, after this sort of era, 50 years before the Phantom Menace. We don't know if the Acolyte is going to be sort of is the High Republic going to end around the era of the Acolyte? And then the Acolyte is going to be the bridging the gap between the High Republic and the Republic we know from the prequels. We're not entirely sure. But one thing I do think is that if not before, I wouldn't be surprised if Disney Lucasfilm do something before this. But once the High Republic era is kind of finished, they'll do another jump back by two, three, four, five hundred years. Because as I've said before, like a thousand years before the prequels is the last time that Jedi saw Sith. So about a hundred years before Yoda was born. So they are inevitably going to go back. There's tons of Legends content. You know, one of the big criticisms of the Disney re-canonization of things was that Legends had such a huge amount of history and intrigue around the Jedi Wars, or the Jedi and the Sith Wars, and how the Old Republic was. And obviously there's the Knights of the Old Republic games and things that are held in such high regard. So I presume they're going to go back to those at some point, and we'll kind of see what that is. But at present, it's like, the Republic itself has had calm for a while. The core worlds have been sorted. Things are improving. And now the Chancellor wants to expand that. She wants to share resources with planets that need it to try and, you know, stifle out crime where you can and just try and make everyone's life and quality of life as high and as good as possible. So I like the element of that. I like the point of the Republic Fair and what Lena So is trying to do with it and that she's trying to connect everyone. And then when you kind of see what happens after the Nile attack, because as I said, you know, it's not a spoiler to say the Nile are going to attack. It, it basically says it's in the crawl and the blurb. So I think you guys have a fair understanding that that's what's going to happen now. And when that all eventually does happen, it is, it is very interesting to see that. And where I'm reading, you know, out of the shadows at the moment, which is set 
a little while after the events of this book, it's interesting seeing some of the aftermath as well and how that's going to kind of affect the galaxy. So it's really, really interesting. I, I like the political element of it. I like some of the themes with it where you've got people struggling with stuff. You've got, you know, Ty Yorick, she's struggling with her connection to the Jedi or lack thereof. And then you've got Elzar Man, who's kind of struggling with him dealing with the light side of the force and things. You've got Stellan Geos, who is a recent Jedi Council member, and he's trying to keep order at the Republic Fair. And it's him trying to, you know, balance between trying to do what the Jedi Order kind of what's best for the Jedi Order and what the Council are asking of you, but also what you kind of feel is a better thing to do. And because Stellan Geos is so close to both Avar Chris and Elzar Man, there's another kind of layer to that of, you know, friendship and kinship and like like how much faith you give into your friends, you know, how many things you potentially don't tell certain people to help others. You know, it's like one of those things. It, it sounds like a silly example, but it's almost like, you know, especially when you're a bit younger and you're with your mate and then your mate accidentally breaks something of their parents or gets a stain in the rug or does something that you know if their parents found out, they would get into trouble. So you take the decision to support your friend and not tell whoever's parents or whatever. You will then defend your friend, which although it is not necessarily the correct moral thing to do from your perspective at that time, it probably seems like the best thing to do because regardless of where the fault lies, the problem has already occurred and is it worth your friend getting into trouble for these things even though that wouldn't solve anything it just adds to the misery of something do you know what i'm kind of saying it's that sort of feel so Stellan geos is kind of almost stuck between a rock and hard place at certain parts of this um, and i really like that element of his character even though i think elzar man is a more interesting character so then you've got bell zetafar that i mentioned in the spoiler free part which is he's got a new master in dira stokes now this is based less than a year after Light of the Jedi. I think I said that earlier on. I might have said six months, so apologies if that has led to any confusion. But this is approximately 231 years before the Battle of Yavin. So it's 199 years before the Phantom Menace. And where Bell is with Loden Greatstorm, and then Greatstorm said, you know, you could become a Jedi Knight and things, and then Loden got captured by the Nile, and you get some more information about him in this book as well. There are some chapters where he is featured in it, so you do get some degree of closure with that element. But Bell is, he's doing well with his new master, Indira Stokes, but he's still kind of not necessarily committing fully because he's still got that hope for Loden. He's still got that kind of connection to his old master. And it's him kind of struggling and thinking, you know, when you've got, like, it's a new father figure in, or Indira is a female, so it's like a new guardian, a new parental figure in some ways. And, you know, I think that connects a lot with if your parents split up or if one of your parents passes away or something like that generally with parents and then a stepdad or stepmom comes in and they can be perfectly nice you know they can be genuinely a really good person and although you can eventually develop a connection with them initially there's that resistance because you still feel loyalty or you have the feelings towards the person who's before them and even if it's not their fault that this other person's gone you still can't always connect with them so I think that element of what Bell's kind of going through because he's still a Padawan and he's like a teenager I think he's in the upper ends of teenagers. I can't remember exactly how old he is, but I think he's like 18, 19-ish. I have just checked online. Uh, Bell was born 250 years before the Battle of Yavin. So at this point, he is, you know, 19-ish. So yeah, he is about 18, 19 across these two books. So he is, you know, I think Obi-Wan in the 
prequels, I think he became a Jedi Knight at the age of like 25 after fighting more. I think that's how old he was in Phantom Menace. So certain Padawans, it's slightly younger, certain ones older. Obviously, there's Vanessa Rowe, who I've spoken about, who is heavily in the Attest of Courage book from the first phase, first wave uh, junior novel. And then she's in the young adult novel, Out of the Shadows by Justine Ireland, which I am, as I said, I'm reading at the moment and I will be tackling. There's the next book reviews, The Race to Crash Point Tower, and then the one after that will be Out of the Shadows. And she was, I think she was like, 15 or 16 when she became a Jedi Knight. So it depends. Uh, I mean, she is a, you know, exceptional case, but Bell is kind of getting to that point where he needs to start thinking about becoming a fully fledged Jedi, but he's still kind of holding on, holding out for Loden Great Storm and hasn't quite like let go of that because he always said that he wanted Loden to be there at his ceremony when you become like a, a fully fledged Jedi. He's, he's still kind of holding on to that, even though he doesn't know if Loden's even alive. So you've got that kind of level of things which is very interesting you know trying to move on in certain ways without being certain i quite like that element of things you've got chancellor so which as i said like she's struggling in a sense of she doesn't seem like she's struggling when she's surrounded by people but you get a moment or two when she's kind of by herself and certain things happen and she feels like she's to blame for certain things by not listening to this advice or that advice so quite like that and there are plenty of other sort of interesting supporting characters there's a jedi called i think it's orbelin who's like a I think the consistency is like a jelly almost like a gelatinous blob thing and they wear like a suit to kind of keep them in a humanoid form somewhat and they're a very interesting character i quite like seeing that and you know the republic fair the way this book is written it's got some really really good imagery there's like these floating islands and stuff there's like a zoo that have got some crazy creatures in there there's lots of cool things like while i was reading it i could really easily visualize being in this kind of fair area so you know kudos to kevin scott for that excellent writing there but this is like the the general idea of the sort of plot that's kind of like some of the things I took out from it, some of the themes and whatnot, once again, without really spoiling what happens in it. But I also want to add in here before moving on to the slightly more spoilerific review, if that's even the correct wording. I think I've said it before, but I don't think it makes sense. But still, um, there's just a few other sort of things which I want to mention here before going to slightly more spoiler territory. And I think I will be somewhat spoiling the book to a degree, um, but I won't you've got a few minutes yet before I get to that. I just want to tackle some of the things that are kind of connecting to this, just in case you guys are like listening to this, and then you're going to stop when it gets to the proper spoiler stuff. So you can go read the book. I want to tell you guys what else is coming out that you can kind of seek your teeth into. So as I said, there was the Monster of Temple Peak, which is about Ty Yorick. Then there's um, a series called Trail of Shadows, which is part of the High Republic stuff. Um, it's going to be like a noir kind of thing, is what Daniel Jose Older, he's the writer, he said it's kind of like a noir thriller sort of thing. I think it's like a murder mystery. I think someone dies in like the first issue and then they're trying to figure out who did it. I've got the first issue on my bedside table ready to read, but I normally don't get to read those things till after I've done an episode of Star Wars Comics and Canon, just to make sure I don't get you know wrapped up in all my new reading and then don't do the podcast reading. So that's another part. There's the Marquion Row, which is going to be called The Eye of the Storm. I think it's going to be like a origin story for Marquion Row going into his life and things. I think there's going to be two issues for that. So it is technically a mini series, but really it's like a two shot almost. So that's going to be coming out, I think, in January time. I think it's going to be released around the time that the next phase of books are going to be released. Uh, and then there's also a book which, forgive me if I pronounce this wrong, but I think it's Halcyon Legacy. So it's H-A-L-C-Y-O-N. And it's going to be starring Buriaga, who was the Wookiee Padawan. And it connects in with the Galactic Star Cruiser, which is the very expensive uh, Disney tour thing, which I think you get on a 
I think it's just like a boat cruise almost, but everything is like completely Star Wars themed. It's kind of like Galaxy's Edge, but on a boat. It costs like thousands of dollars a night from what I remember, and I don't have the kind of money. But if you guys want to become a Patreon supporter and fund that, then I think every single one of you listening would have to give a bit of money, and then after you know, several months, I might be able to afford it. But um, I'm not genuinely asking for you guys to give me money so I can afford to go on this Galactic Star Cruise. I've just kind of accepted unless I win the lottery or come into a huge amount of money very suddenly that's not going to be something I ever get into what I can do is read the comic the miniseries that is going to connect with it so they're the kind of High Republic miniseries that are coming out uh, over the next I think it's going to be it's over the next few months because obviously Monster of Temple Peak I think it's on issue 3 at the moment I think Trailer Shadows is issue 2 and then I think uh, The Eye of the Storm and Halcyon Legacy are going to be out early 2022 so they're kind of a connective tissue but there's also there's an audio drama out which is also by Kevin Scott busy man and it's an audio drama called The Tempest Runner. Now, it is set after The Rising Storm, so please make sure you read The Rising Storm and then check that out. Don't do it the other way around. And it's all about Lorna D, uh, the Twi'lek Tempest Runner who's part of the Nile. Um, it's a very interesting read. I wasn't going to do like a full review on it. Um, I do like audio dramas, but it's kind of some way harder to review because, you know, with a book, when I'm reading it, I can make a few notes here and there. And also I can kind of flick back through the book and like find parts that I'm thinking about reread passages. But with an audio drama that's like, you know, six or seven hours long, I can't always remember where things happen in a certain way. And you can read a bit online. I think Wikipedia has got some information and like who's in it and stuff, but they don't have the full written out synopsis of the entirety of the audio drama obviously because uh, that would kind of take away from the audio drama and i don't want to buy the written script version of the audio drama i'm not even sure if that even is out i know that kevin scott's last one dooku jedi lost and the dr afro audiobook both of those have got normal books so i presume tempest runner will have a normal book out but i don't want to buy the script of something if i've already got the audio drama of it but it's worth a listen it's kind of like um I think I'll describe it almost as like, it's probably the same sort of content as the miniseries or like an interlude chapter or something. I think it works well because it does push on Lorna D's story somewhat. And there is uh, some flashbacks that are quite interesting that do connect with Markion Rowe and connect with Markion Rowe's dad. Asgar Rowe, who was the Eye of the Storm before Markion was. So you hear some the sort of backstory with Markion Rowe and some early years of the Nile before Markion Rowe was the Eye of the Storm. So you do get some quite interesting things. So if you're intrigued by the Nile and you want more information on the Nile as antagonist, like what they're all about, I would recommend The Tempest Runner and it does kind of further on certain elements um, from The Rising Storm that, as I said, I don't want to really say yet. Um, I probably won't say in this review fully. I don't want to spoil The Tempest Runner audiobook as well um, but yeah there are elements of this book which then lead on to the tempest runner and it brings some quite interesting things there's like this whole prison ship idea that the high republic have got and that's meant to be about trying to rehabilitate some people who go into this they can be reintroduced into society and all those things and it's got some quite interesting ideas in that i would say if you're really into audio dramas and you're really into the high republic stuff then yeah check out the tempest runner it is uh, really good but I wouldn't say it's necessarily essential. Um, I'd say, you know, the main, like the Jedi and Rising Storm are 100% essential to understand the High Republic. And then I'd say like one tier down from that would be the High Republic comics, as in the standard High Republic comics, as well as probably the young adult books, Into the Dark and Out of the Shadows. And then one tier below those, I'd say, would be the rest of them, which is, you know, the Tempest Runner audiobook, the two junior novels, and then the High Republic Adventures comics. I know earlier on I did say that I generally prefer the High Republic Adventures comics. I do. I do enjoy them more. And the plot is very interesting. And they do connect with 
the other junior novels and some of the young adult or some of the elements of the young adult novels as well like in out of the shadows there's characters that are specifically in the high republic adventures comics but although it's a lot of fun and they do connect tissue i'm trying to think of like you know not everyone wants to read every single piece of content that comes out of the high republic because there is a lot so the kind of essentials to really understand the main elements of the plot are the adult novels in their quotes as well as the main run of comics so Tempest Runner, it's definitely good. It's worth a worth a listen, but it's not like game changing. It won't it'll make you appreciate the character Lorna D more because it's basically all about her. Uh, and then there's other characters that pop up in it as well. So you, as I said with Marquion Row and Asgar Row and the Nile in general, you get more information on those. As well as general universal politics. You get information about Aeoloth, which is one of the other places the Twi'leks come from. I know that Ryloth, I think, is like their main homeworld, so you get information about that. So there's there is a lot of interesting stuff in there. There's some cool things to unpack, but you know, where I generally listen to audio dramas normally when I'm driving to and from work, you know, I can't really make notes about it in things, hence why I don't always do a full review on the audio dramas. But yeah, they're, they're sort of the connective content to this novel. But now I'm just going to give some broad strokes of plot. So this is going to be spoilers. So if what everything I've said so far is just about themes and characters and like really broad strokes of the plot. And I would say if you're intending on reading The High, the Rising Storm, uh, please go do that before listening to the second half of this review. I am going to do a mild amount of spoilers, mainly because there's like one or two elements that I very specifically want to mention, and I can't talk about them without spoiling something. So although you guys obviously know the Republic Fair gets attacked by the Nile, I want to give a little bit more information about those elements and some of the things that get brought up. So this is your spoiler warning. As I said, this won't spoil the whole of the Rising Storm book. Uh, there's still a lot of great things to take on board from it, and there's a lot of cool things about it. It's a really, really fun book. But if you are intending on reading it, I'd probably err on the side of caution to say, stop listening here. This next part is more so for people who either aren't going to read the High Republic novels, or it's going to be a long time before they do, and they want to know what's going on, how it connects with like the comics or other content or anything like that, or if you guys are just generally interested in the High Republic, but you don't necessarily have intention on reading them in particular. So the main thing that I wanted to speak about was something that I alluded to earlier on in the light spoiler review, which is the Nile, specifically Marquion Rowe, goes somewhere and he uncovers something and this is some sort of threat. Now, what he calls it is the Great Leveler. I think it has multiple names, but it's basically this being that seems to feed on only force sensitives, but kind of their life force, it kind of makes them into such a fear of shock that it eventually it either saps their life force away or it eats them but we're not entirely sure at this moment but basically it kills things that are force sensitive it specifically targets them the concept of it is very very interesting and it's quite scary in a lot of ways and Kevin scott is excellent at writing horror he's that's like one of his favorite things and so he does it expertly in this book because the leveler is a horror kind of being you don't really know what it looks like you just know when its presence is when it's like apparently nearby and the first few chapters and things where that character Udi Dis, who's a Tolortai, the bird person, they come into contact with the leveler and it doesn't end well. And then the leveler returns towards the end. There's like, you know, the first half of the book is preparing for the Republic Fair. And then the sort of middle of the book is the attack on the Republic Fair and why it happens and all the kind of elements of that and the Nile actually attacking, what tactics they use, and the Jedi who are there trying to scramble and figure out how to combat the Nile while there's just terror going on, people getting massacred, and, you know, elements of the fair getting destroyed and all kinds of other elements. So that part of it is really interesting, but then the last few chapters is kind of this 
the Republic after dealing with the stuff that happens at the fair then go after the Nile and one part of the Nile decide to attack somewhere else and then it basically goes wrong for the Nile I'm not going to delve into explicitly why but it goes wrong for the Nile the Republic are ready for it and then a, a part of the Nile gets destroyed by the Republic and when that happens, Marcion Rowe is nearby and he calls upon the Great Leveller again. And the book ends in a tragedy. So I won't say what happens specifically, but one of the ba- major characters does die. And it is pretty horrendous. It's like the last like page or two of the book that you find out. I think it's like the last two sentences is where you find out who's gone. And it's pretty horrendous. They get like petrified as in physically they become, they like turn to stone and someone touches the face of the person who has turned to stone and their face just crumbles inward and they just kind of turn to dust so they're they're pretty dead pretty dead so this great leveler has somehow like turned someone or petrified them in some way it's very bizarre but that's one of the things where in the comics where the drengir are being beaten and are slowly getting forced back and then the nile as this book goes on and it's kind of mentioned as well in the tempest runner too where the nile forces are actually getting more and more diminished and it's mentioned in out of the shadows as well which obviously is set after this book where the nile are still causing terror somewhat but they're kind of still hiding a little bit and mark yonro's still got this plan and he's not really explaining to anyone what the plan is and anyone who seems to get embroiled in the plan he seems to get killed so he's got this great plan seemingly to do with the leveler we don't know if the great leveler is going to become the main antagonist of all of the high republic is the leveler going to be the reason why the jedi kind of become a bit more dogmatic and things is it going to turn people to the dark side in some crazy ways like what is it going to do is it going to try and force some jedi to shut themselves off from the force so that they can't be affected by this thing like we don't know at the moment as i said there's very very little to go on but it's it's a very interesting being something that we haven't seen in the canon of star wars as of yet uh, i say the closest things we've seen to them and this this is a bit of a stretch but in the clone wars there's the mortis arc which is excellent and you've got the father the daughter and the son who are all like elements of the force and you've got you know the dad is like the or the father he's like the the great balancing act and then you've got the daughter who's like purely the good and then you've got the son who's like purely the dark side and you've kind of got a whole complex thing going around i mean it's like a two or three i think it's a three-part arc in the clone wars might even be four so it's quite a chunky arc and it kind of goes into the depths of the force which i find very intriguing and the leveler is kind of like the antithesis of that so it's kind of like a destroyer of the force so it's a very interesting concept and i think in the next phase of the horror public for january 2022 it's probably going to be a lot more of a heavy connection uh to those things so when i was reading that 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 was something that really intrigued me i'm hoping that it is in the something outside of the books because i really like seeing things like i want to see it in the comics and stuff i have a feeling it might stick to the books because if it appears in the comics it might diminish its fear because one thing with horror that i know is that a lot of the scariest types of horror are things that you can't fully see things that you can't fully comprehend you know everyone gets this when you see a horror film unless the point of the horror film is the thing is chasing you or the thing is going to get you generally speaking when you get it is the scariest part is knowing that something is pursuing you but you don't know what it is you don't know how to kill it you don't know really anything about it and i assume we're going to find out more about this being as it goes on i assume it'll eventually get killed because it's you know not around in the prequels unless it goes into some sort of hibernation state and then it comes back and then it's one of the main baddies for post episode nine content but i I would find that to be quite unlikely but you know with horror you don't want 
to be able to see the thing because certain people are going to find things scary and certain people aren't, you know, and if people find something not scary and get to see it, then it takes away from the horror of it. So although there is that part of me that really wants to see what the Great Leveler looks like, and I think there's some concept art online that kind of alludes to what it is, and you, I think you get like a very, very limited amount of description in The Rising Storm, but yeah part of me wants to see it in comics but part of me kind of wants it to stay in the books to keep its uh sort of mystery around it but that's one element i want to tackle the other element i want to tackle specifically was about elzar man so i said earlier that he kind of flits in the dark side and things and one element i i like this in styles because we don't get it very much which is when sex comes up you know sex is obviously something that is uh, adult generally people who are i know teenagers inevitably get up to it but generally speaking it's quite an adult theme it's something that adults generally have a better understanding of than especially teenagers and because star wars centers around the jedi who are obviously essentially monks they're religious uh individuals they've got they haven't got any strict doctrine that they specifically adhere to obviously the doctrine you see in the last jedi it's, I think, the first doctrine we saw in canon, really. Uh, I know in Legends, there's a lot of sort of doctrine, and there's quite a few books. There's like the Sith, there's the Book of the Sith, and then the Jedi Way, and the Bounty Hunter Code, and things which are Legends books that I've got a couple of. But in the canon, there's not like a specific guide to the Force, like there is in modern day religion, where you've got, you know, Christianity, you've got the Bible, with Islam, you've got the Quran, like there's lots of doctrine and documents that connect with the religion whereas in star wars with the jedi in the current canon we don't really have that and although we don't have that sex isn't really a part of what a jedi is meant to be from what we understand especially the prequel era jedi you've got the character rail avaros who is one of my favorite characters and he's a jedi he is in the master and apprentice book by claudia gray which is probably my favorite star wars book outside of the high republic stuff um and then we've also got he appears in dooku jedi lost which is kevin scott's audio drama about you know dooku as a character his kind of history how he kind of got to where he is some of the backstory of him and ray lavros has mentioned that because rail was dooku's first apprentice and then after rail became a fully fledged jedi then qui-gon became the apprentice and ray lavros in master and apprentice does have sex i actually mentioned that in my master and apprentice book review as well in fact which was about a year ago now, I think. But if you're on YouTube, if that's where you're listening, you can find it in the playlist. If not, just type in Star Wars Comics and Canon Master and Apprentice and it will come up wherever you're listening to this if it's a podcast app. But Ray Lavros was the first Jedi I came across who actually talked about sex and actually had it. And then in this, Elzar Man actually has sex. And it's quite clever. You think he's not going to, and then he does. And it, it's quite funny seeing how he kind of somewhat tortures himself from having this. Whereas in you know most occupants in the galaxy sex and physical intimacy and things with other uh, beings is fairly standard as long as it's you know consensual and things people have sex because you know the the galaxy has to repopulate so when you have non-jedi characters they actually sometimes ask jedi about these things like i remember in into the dark uh the claudia gray young adult novel there's the main one of the main characters wreath silas and he talks to a character called nan who's just a, a young girl and she asks him about sex and he gets a little bit embarrassed about it and then it kind of gets glazed over. But it's funny that obviously one of Anakin's thing he says in the prequels is, you know, you're not meant to have attachments, you're not meant to have this, but equally, you know, your love for others and your sort of the love for your fellow being is meant to kind of help you in the force, but you're not meant to have attachments. And obviously he does kind of interpret it in, in a slightly different way. But in this era, it seems like the Jedi are a little bit more accepting because one of Elzar Man's friends, Estelle Geos, finds out that Elzar Man had sex, I'm pretty certain. And then he's just not really that phased by it, in a sense. It doesn't seem to be the big problem that one would assume it is. And how Anakin of 
especially acted about it in the prequels. But it's just very interesting having someone who, Elzo Man, who's a Jedi Master, and he's been with the Jedi for, well, he's older. Um, he get, he's very well respected. I think he's like mid 30s to late 30s, I think, from what I can gather. And a lot of his sort of colleagues look up to him and things, and he's got a lot of talent in the Force, but obviously some stuff happens and he kind of loses his way a little bit and then he ends up having sex and then it's kind of his how he feels afterwards and what's going on and another element that connects to that is that then he basically channels the dark side at one point to do something to kill a huge amount of Nile. and I really like it when you get a character who kind of unhinges a bit and goes a bit mental and especially with Jedi who tap into the dark side I find that a very intriguing element of things you know Darth Revan from Legends continuity is especially interesting as a case study in some ways because you know someone who is a Jedi and he fell to the dark side and then he loses his memory and then by default kind of becomes a light side user again and then gets his memory back and then from what I recall he then I know Knights of the Republic and stuff it's kind of what you decide to do affects how the outcome of the game is but I'm fairly certain that in the books and things it kind of alludes to Revan then at the end kind of being a good person in general but he's more of like a grey Jedi because he kind of utilises powers from both I know that that's what Starkiller does who's like my favourite Legends character from the Force Unleashed games where he's bad and then he becomes good but even when he's good he still uses dark side abilities even though his he's still trying to do good things so i've got like that element of things and where elzar man kind of taps into the dark side of the force i'm kind of hoping that happens again and he becomes a bit less stable because it's just such an interesting thing to see a character do so i really like that element of it and when he does that it actually you know it kills a certain amount of nile and it does something that saves the lives of other people and is that forever debate in star wars which is you know you have to save people under the right guise. You have to do it for the right reasons. You know, I think Rose says it in The Last Jedi, you know, you should basically save the ones we love, not kill the ones we hate. Whereas I don't fully agree with that, to be honest with you. If, you know, not to get into a big political thing, but sometimes there are certain times, I think, where not necessarily that violence is the answer, but, you know, if someone came into my house, um, like had a knife to Megan's throat and I was holding a gun, then I would shoot them. You know, I'm not, I don't want to kill someone, but if it's between losing someone who means so much to me and taking a life, I'm obviously going to take a life. It, it's not, obviously that scenario is very easy to understand and very non-complex and anything aside from extreme examples is very complicated, but that's what I quite like. I, I like the less it, less it being just moral absolutism, you know, like it happens in certain Marvel movies and things like that as well. I know Batman's got a very similar sort of mindset or most iterations of Batman have got a similar mindset, which is you don't kill, you just never kill, you know, under any circumstance, unless it's, you know, a really bad accident or something or if the plot needs it but i want to see more characters in the future high republic stuff tapping into the dark side a bit more and then maybe that's one of the reasons why the modern era jedi from the prequels are more dogmatic with things so yeah i just want to kind of talk about those two elements specifically um as i said i've spoken about the great leveler i've spoken about some of the nile stuff and the general plot and things but i don't want to talk anymore because this isn't going to be you know me just telling you the whole plot of the rising storm because i would be here for hours it's a chunky book but i really really enjoyed the book i thought it was excellent i thought it was really really worth a read and if you're listening to this part even though i said earlier you know maybe don't listen to the spoilery stuff if you're going to read it one day i really do recommend reading light of the jedi and the rising storm they are two of the best 
Star Wars, pieces of Star Wars content that I've consumed in a long time. You know, I've read all the comics and the comics are great. I always got about the 2017 Darth Vader comics, like my favorite, but that really strikes a chord with me because I actually do like the prequels and things and it connects with them quite well and adds a lot of depth to Darth Vader and you get to see lightsaber bleeding and you get to see his like force vision at the end. And I like things to do with the force. I really like getting into that. And one of the things I love about the High Republic is everyone's connected to the force and it allows the Jedi to be their own person. They, they all sense the force in different ways. Now, I think I said this in my like the Jedi review where you know someone hears it as a song someone sees it as like an ocean someone sees it like a fire uh, someone kind of feels it like the wind like everyone interprets the force in a different way and that's kind of how humans uh, in real life interpret what life is some people believe it's a god some people believe it's many gods some people believe there is no god some people believe it's just kind of universal energy you know there's loads of different ways of people although the interpretation is generally the same for a lot of them which is there's some sort of higher power be it a deity or something conscious or just the unconscious energy of the universe or that there's nothing above us and there's just living things and nothing else. All the things, aside from that last example, are similar in essence. They're generally just there's a higher power. And obviously with the Jedi, they all believe in the Force and they all tap into it and they all have certain specialities, but everyone kind of views it and interprets it in a different way. And I really like the individuality that the High Republic Jedi get, that the prequel era Jedi didn't get. And obviously that's part of the point of the High Republic being able to expand those horizons. So I'm very excited to see where the High Republic goes, but it also makes me very excited to see when we go back several hundred more years. And I would like to see in canon like a cohesive, be it a film or some books or comics or whatever, it's probably going to be a film maybe a series, maybe a book. I'd be very surprised if the first time they tap into really old, hundreds of years before the High Republic, the first thing is going to be comics. I'd find that very, very surprising. But I really want to hear about and see, you know, some of the start of the Jedi and how the Jedi Order got founded and some of the Jedi Sith Wars and how we got to where we are. But I don't want to necessarily, I've read a bit of Legends stuff, but I don't want to necessarily delve into Legends. I want the canon to do it so it connects to everything else because obviously there's no such thing as the High Republic in Legends. But um, yeah, rambly way of saying really really enjoy this book love where they're going um and although this book is i'd say as good as like the jedi it still feels very different and it's kind of what i like you know it's almost with other directors it's kind of what i compare with the force awakens and the last jedi in a sense although although the rising storm and like the jedi are far more similar than the force awakens and like the uh, last jedi are the last jedi and the force awakens for me are both equally good films just in very different ways and i like how J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson both interpret Star Wars and create content in different ways and it's kind of how Charles Saul and Kevin Scott are taking it although theirs is much more cohesive it's much more connected it's much more clearly they worked together to make a big plot as opposed to one of them made a film and then the second one also made a film and then the first guy made another film that kind of retconned a lot of stuff you know a bit of a up and down experience for the sequel trilogy in certain ways but I like Kevin Scott's writing and I like Charles Saul's writing. And although it feels different, the universe itself that it is in doesn't feel disjointed in any way by that. It's just good to have other content made by other people while still having a really, really good story to tell. So yeah, I really enjoyed The Rising Storm. Thought it was absolutely excellent. I really, really can't wait for the third book. And I think that's called The Fallen Star or Fallen Stars. And that's going to be written by Claudia Gray. So the third book. So we've got three pillar big adult novels, each written by a different author. And I'm very, very excited to see where that goes. And I have a strong feeling that a lot of the characters we really like are going to die, which is going to cause me a great amount of upset because we've already had a couple characters die in both the light of the jedi and also the rising storm one of which was incredibly devastating and i had a sense it was coming and i really didn't want it to 
And that last page, that's where it happened, which is so sad. But really hope you guys enjoyed it. You know, please let me know what you thought of my book review. Um, I'm always open to hear some opinions and some ways I could make this better. Obviously, certain points I just ramble on, but a lot of you guys seem to like it when I just <laughs> go off the cuff and don't go on my notes and just waffle. Um, obviously, book reviews are slightly less uh, structured than my comic episodes are and things. But, you know, if you've read this book, please tell me what you thought. I'd be really, really interested to hear uh, how people thought. I know a few of you guys picked up The Light of the Jedi after my Light of the Jedi book review, and I heard a few of you guys talking about how much you enjoyed that either you read the the physical version or you listened to the audio version so either or however you want to consume the media i personally prefer reading these i'm a bit more of a visual person so i like to be able to go over stuff and obviously when i'm making notes it's a bit easier as well as like when i'm looking up stuff you know if you know how a character's name is spelled it's generally a bit easier to find out more information on the character rather than have to try and write it out phonetically for a name that doesn't exist in standard english that is created for star wars it can be hard to figure out whether the spelling is correct or not but um yeah let me know what you thought of the rising storm let me know how you thought it compared to like the jedi if you haven't read it but you've listened to the entirety of this let me know has it made you want to read it you know or are you just happy cruising along just listening to my reviews of all these things and getting like peripheral understanding and knowledge of the high republic you know i'd be really interested to hear what you guys sort of think about this how compared to the other one i'm talking about the books not not the review uh and let me know if you're excited about any of these sort of upcoming series because obviously with trail of shadows and monster of temple peak and i the storm and halcyon legacy coming out i think because they started monster on temple peak i think started a month before trail of shadows and then the other two have not yet started so i think that when we get to the new year and i've caught up with well i've surpassed the war of the bounty under stuff and i should be up to date with all the ongoing series and i can start tackling you know the high republic comics and whatnot I'll be able to do one mini series a month and that'll be whichever one's just finished, I presume. So let me know if you're excited for any of those. Let me know if you're excited about, you know, it's Claudia Gray because obviously I've tackled quite, her, quite a lot of her stuff and obviously I interviewed her uh, December 2020 on this show. And like, what what do you guys think? Are you excited for the next phase? what do you want to see from the high republic like just let me know what you think contact me on social media or contact the guys in comics emotion the message will get passed to me at some point uh, but yeah follow me at genuine chit chat on instagram twitter and on facebook uh, please if you haven't already um, if you're on youtube do it now please subscribe if you're not on youtube please go over to genuine chit chat's youtube channel uh, because if i can get 100 subscribers then i get to change the channel link to youtube.com slash genuine chit chat rather than being a gobbledygook of a hundred letters and characters and things and so i know not all of you listen on youtube in fact quite a small amount of people listen on youtube but if you're listening on a podcast app and you have a youtube account please go over there and just subscribe it'll really really help me out and i would appreciate that greatly you can also support the show by going to patreon.com slash genuine chit chat uh, you can subscribe for as little as one pound a month i've seen a couple of new people recently so thank you very much for those and basically you get access to the audio feed which has well, it's, it's an rss link you can either listen on patreon itself either get the app and listen from there or go on the desktop version just type it in and you can listen there or you can copy the link that you get as soon as you become a supporter you get a little welcome message from me and it's got the link in there and if you put that link into where you listen to podcasts like podcast addict and overcast and places like that you put the link in there and then you just get access to the patreon feed you'll know you get it because the logo is the same as the normal feed logo except genuine is written in gold and not in silver which i was very chuffed about when i thought of that i thought i thought it looked really cool um but that's me nerding out to my 
my, my own graphic design ability of just tweaking a color. Um, but yeah, you get access to a whole new feed and you get access to at least one episode of Afterthoughts every week. It's normally one per standard, but then when there's a two-parter released of Genuine Chit Chat, when part two drops on the normal feed, all the patrons then get an extra Afterthoughts on the Sunday. So even if you become a Patreon supporter, you'll still get content every Sunday. It will either be on the standard Genuine Chit Chat feed or it'll be on the Patreon feed. I generally release Afterthoughts like middle of the week as well. Me and Megan have been watching series, which we do spoiler-free reviews of. We're watching a lot of films at the cinema soon. We've got this week we're watching uh, Venom Let There Be Carnage, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone because it's the 20th year anniversary and you guys, if any of you know me and Megan, you know Megan's as into Harry Potter as I am with Star Wars. And then we're watching, I think, Last Night in Soho on Sunday. So in a week we're going to the cinema three times and then I think we're going to go see June the week after that and I think the week after that is when Eternals comes out. So lots of stuff to watch. All the stuff at the cinema we watch, we do spoiler-free reviews of and then any of the older films we watch, like we've... um, we recently watched the Halloween movies, like a whole bunch of them. So we did a review for one, two, and three. Uh, we're due to record a review of H2O and the 2018 Halloween film as well. And we've got a few other films that we've watched recently. We, we did an X-Men rewatch and we've recorded our review of X-Men 1, 2, and 3. We haven't yet recorded for uh, the, the Wolverine trilogy or the first class and days of future past things i might show megan apocalypse as well do a nice little trilogy there too we've yet to watch the new mutants we've done all the star wars films apart from last jedi and the rise of skywalker because you know me and megan have got a lot of things going on in life as well as my two podcasts and everything else and we can't don't have the time to be able to record an afterthoughts every day um, because we did at one point and then we basically had like 15 afterthoughts all recorded in the space of like two weeks and i didn't have to record any for ages and then there was one afterthoughts episode and then the next one was the recording difference times was like two and a half three months difference between them even though they're released like a week apart but um anyway uh if you want access to loads of additional content as well as supporting the show both star wars comics and canon and genuine chit chat uh, and this book review if you're listening to it now you're either already listening on patreon or you're listening on the main feed but i often will release these book reviews on patreon a few days early as well because i normally get them edited and finished early too so if you want loads of access to um if you want early access to a lot of my content as well as having hours of bonus content as well as being able to support the show or both shows then and you've got a spare i think including tax and whatever i think it's like one pound 20 which i think in dollars is less than two dollars a month if you're willing to contribute that amount of money uh, just so you get all this extra content and things and support the show it means the absolute world to me but if you don't want to contribute financially you can contribute in many other ways you can share stuff on social media and you can t- choose to tag at genuine chit chat into it if you want or you don't have to tag me if you're just sharing with other people and sending links that sort of stuff that's perfectly fine too but if you want to really support the show and do a little bit of extra effort with no financial burden attached, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or Podmatch or Good Pods or anywhere like that. Spread the word. The more reviews and the more people talking about the shows, the more buzz that both the feed of Comics in Motion gets, Star Wars Comics and Canon gets, and Genuine Chit Chat get, then it just means everyone wins, really. So you get more content and more people listening to the shows that you love, and then they can do more crazy cool things with that too. So I really hope you guys enjoyed this. I'll be doing my next book review, which will be for Race to Crash Point Tower. I'm excited to talk about that, actually. It was a really cool book, and it ties in very, very nicely with The Rising Storm because it happens at the exact same time. So there's events that happen in The Rising Storm that you kind of see happen in Race to Crash Point Tower, and there's a, there's quite a few cool things. And actually, the characters in Race to Crash Point Tower do very briefly get mentioned in The Rising Storm because uh, the plot of The Race to Crash Point Tower has an impact on the outcome of The Rising Storm. So... Very cool. Excited to do that. That'll probably be about a month or so. Um, as of recording this at the moment, I'm recording it towards the end 
end of November, uh, of October. So I've got the Vader's Castle thing that will be released on ha- well, day before Halloween. Then I think the week after that's going to be War of the Bounty Hunters. So the week after that. So you guys are probably going to be listening to this uh, the first, no, the second week in November. We shall see. I need to edit it all first, which will take a little while. Um, but yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this as much as I did. Obviously, I love reading Star Wars books and telling you guys all about it. As I said, do all the things I just mentioned. Subscribe on Patreon. Give me money, please. Uh, review on everywhere, Podmatch, Good Pod, and Apple Podcast. And subscribe to Genuine Chit Chat onto YouTube as well. And also tell everyone you've ever met about Genuine Chit Chat and Star Wars Comics and Canon. And just share it all the time over all your social medias. Just become a shill for me and my content, please. But anyway, guys, I do really appreciate you guys listening. Thank you so much, as always. Um, I'll talk to you, I imagine, next week, because I think I've probably released this on a Saturday on the main feed. So if I've released it on Patreon, thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for supporting the show. And if you're listening on the normal feed, I'll talk to you next week. So as always, guys, may the Force be with you. The intro for Star Wars Comics and Canon is arranged by myself, Mike Burton, and the backing music was made by Eric Matias of soundimage.org. You have just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit-chat, and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton. Honest conversations with interesting people. Hi, I'm Mike from the Genuine Chit Chat Podcast, and I talk to a wide variety of guests across an eclectic range of interesting topics. People I've spoken to include a magister from the Church of Satan, a blind Australian filmmaker, a puppeteer from Labyrinth and Dark Crystal, and I also speak to musicians of all kinds of genres, authors, actors, podcasters. Really, there is no limit to who I speak to, and the subject matter is endless. So if you believe in the art of conversation and want to hear different people talking about their passions, then this is the perfect show for you. You can find Genuine Chit Chat anywhere you listen to podcasts, and there's some video versions on YouTube, so there's no reason not to tune in.